Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we drip weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, balance, rejuvenation and medical censorship. Balanced Life Prediction, a collaboration between researchers in Brazil, Finland, Australia, UK and the US, used a test of whether people can balance on one leg for 10 seconds to predict your chances of surviving the next 10 years. People who failed the test were nearly twice as likely to die in the next 10 years. It's called the 10-second one-legged stance test, and it could save your life. The researchers examined 1,702 individuals in Brazil between 51 and 75 years old, between 2008 and 2020. Over half the participants were men. Participants had voluntarily visited the Clinimex Exercise Medicine Clinic in Rio de Janeiro to assess their aerobic and non-aerobic physical fitness. The measurements included the height, weight, girth of the waist, waist-height ratio, body mass index, and the sum of six skin folds to determine fat distribution. The medical history was collected, taking into account the presence or absence of certain diseases and regular medication usage. During their first checkups, participants were asked to stand on one leg for 10 seconds without holding onto anything to support themselves. They were asked to place the front of the uplifted foot on the back of their weight-bearing leg while keeping their arms at their sides and their gaze fixed straight ahead. One in five participants failed the test. Most people who failed the test had known health problems. Many were obese, had cardiovascular disease and unhealthy cholesterol levels. Diabetes was three times more common among people who failed the test, as in those who passed. During a median follow-up time of seven years, 7.2% of all the participants died among which 32% of the participants died of cancer, 30% due to cardiovascular diseases, 9% due to respiratory system diseases, and 7% due to COVID-19 complications. The team observed that 17.5% of the people that failed the test had died, compared to 4.6% of the people that passed the test. When adjusted for age, sex, body mass index and several comorbidities, your chances of dying in the next 10 years if you can't do the 10-second balance test gave a hazard ratio of 1.84, or nearly twice the chances of dying from any cause as those who can do the test. While we don't know yet why balance is correlated with death within the decade, the good news is that people who can't pass the balance test can be trained to have better balance with just a few minutes a day of balanced training. The study's lead author, Dr. Claudio Gil Soares de Arujo, 
points out that everyone regularly needs to stay in a one-legged posture for 10 seconds to move out of a car, bus or train, to step into or out of a bath, to climb or descend a step or stairs, and so on. A fall in older people often leads to complications, and balance training has been shown to reduce the incidence of falls. A 2019 report found that the number of deaths from falls amongst Americans 75 years and older increased from over 8,000 a year in 2000 to over 25,000 per year in 2016. Although the deaths in the Brazilian study were not exclusively from falls, but from all causes, we can hope that addressing the balance problem will also help address whatever causes the actual connection between lack of balance and increased risk of death. There's scope there for further research. The paper was titled, Successful 10-second one-legged stance performance predicts survival in middle-aged and older individuals and was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Rejuvenated thymus glands. A nutritional diet where only the calories are massively reduced, calorie restriction, has led to much longer, healthy lifespan in worms, flies, mice, rats and rhesus monkeys. The mechanism appears to activate a long metabolic pathway involving sirtuin genes. Longevity researchers have always recommended people don't try that diet because it had not been proved to help humans and because restricting calories can hurt some people. Of course, most longevity researchers are noticeably very thin. Researchers have tried to trigger the same gene expression metabolic pathway without using a calorie restriction diet by supplementing with nutrient extracts such as resveratrol, nicotinamide mononucleotide, and nicotinamide riboside. Researchers at Yale University have found that caloric restriction diets do extend lifespan in humans, and they've discovered how to get the benefits without the diet. By reducing a protein called platelet-activating factor acetylhydrolase. The study focused on the thymus gland, which sits between the lungs above your heart. The thymus gland regulates your adaptive immune system by producing T-lymphocytes, or T-cells, that recognize and attack infections while not attacking you. This is the system that vaccines amplify. Once you reach puberty, the thymus gland starts to shrink and be replaced by fat. By the time a healthy adult reaches 40, about 70% of the thymus gland is fatty and non-functional. As a result, it produces fewer T-cells to protect the body from infection, which is one of the reasons people are more vulnerable to infection as they get older. The thymus gland keeps shrinking. Over 200 people were put on a calorie-restricted diet for two years. The researchers called this clinical trial Comprehensive Assessment of Long-Term Effects of Reducing Intake of Energy, which sadly spells out the acronym CALORIE. In the study, half the people reduced their calories by 14%, while the other half ate as normal. After two years, they took magnetic resonance image scans of the thymus gland of the participants. They found that the thymus glands in participants with limited calorie intake had less fat and greater functional volume after two years of calorie restriction. And they were producing more T-cells than they were at the start of the study. Their thymus glands had rejuvenated. 
something nobody knew was possible. But participants who weren't restricting their calories had no change in their thymus glands functional volume. The researchers analysed gene expression in people's thymus glands both to confirm that the rejuvenated thymus glands were functioning well without side effects and to see what the differences were between the thymus glands belonging to people who were on the calorie-restricted diet versus those who were not. They found that the gene for group 7A platelet activating factor acetaldehydrolase, PLA2G7, was significantly inhibited after two years of a calorie-restriction diet. Group 7A platelet-activating factor acetylhydrolase is a protein produced by macrophage immune cells to identify and kill invaders. Elevated levels of Group 7A platelet-activating factor acetylhydrolase is known from previous studies to be associated with numerous metabolic immune and inflammatory disorders, including stroke, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, autoimmune diseases, cardiovascular diseases, type 2 diabetes, neuropathy, and some types of cancer. However, we've not yet found the mechanism. To find out if group 7A platelet-activating factor acetylhydrolase caused some of the benefits observed with calorie restriction in humans, the researchers also tracked what happened when the same protein was reduced in mice in a laboratory experiment. They found that reducing the protein gave the same benefits as calorie restriction in humans. The mouse's thymus glands were protected from diet-induced weight gain and protected from age-related inflammation. This showed that group 7A platelet-activating factor acetylhydrolase is one of the main causes of the benefits of a calorie-restricted diet. This helps us understand how the metabolic system and the immune system talk to each other, which can point us to potential targets that can improve immune function, reduce inflammation, and potentially enhance a healthy lifespan. So, a diet that has complete nutrition, but 14% less calories for at least two years, can visibly rejuvenate the thymus gland in humans, improving thymus gland production of T-cells, and thus improving resistance to disease. Caloric restriction does have benefits for extending a healthy lifespan in humans, just as it does in worms, flies, mice, rats, and rhesus monkeys. Previous studies have shown that otherwise fertile women can't conceive on a calorie-restricted diet because fatty tissues are part of the metabolism that makes people fertile. Calorie-restricted diets are also not recommended for a wide variety of health issues, so you should consult your doctor before digging in. It may be possible to target a drug to reduce group 7A platelet-activating factor acetylhydrolase so that we can rejuvenate our thymus glands, and have greater resistance to all kinds of diseases, from childhood well into a healthier old age. That will be the focus of future research. Perhaps in a few years, every child will take the pills from puberty for the rest of their much healthier lives. The article was titled, Caloric Restriction Has a New Player. Reverse Translation of a Human Caloric Restriction Trial Finds an Immunometabolic Regulator and was published in the journal Science.
You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And finally, censoring doctors? Should the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority be able to threaten to remove a doctor's licence to practice medicine for the crime of criticising government health policies. Dr David Berger has been put under restrictions by the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority for breaching their social media policy, after an anonymous complaint. The restrictions say he must complete an educational program in good behaviour that he must pay for, and then write a reflective practice report on how he has integrated the lessons into his medical practice and everyday life. It sounds very Soviet-era authoritarian. This story was a hard one to verify because most of the information is hidden away behind doctor-only paywalled websites. I follow Dr David Berger on Twitter, where he's been talking about the evidence that COVID is a serious airborne disease and a spot-on critic of the let-it-rip policies of the state and federal Australian governments. Most recently, they removed the requirement for international travellers to be tested for COVID so they can just spread new variants at will as soon as they arrive. I should add that since Premier Dominic Perrottet took power in New South Wales last year, just as we were warned about the first Omicron wave about to hit Australia, he cut all protective measures against spreading the infection in the state, and then through the National Cabinet persuaded the rest of Australia to follow. With the result that over 8,000 people have died in Australia of COVID-19 in just the first six months of 2022. That's four times as many people who died from COVID in all of 2020 and 2021 added together. Dr Berger is a GP who works in remote areas of Western Australia. As far as I can see, he's been proved right almost every time. When asked on Twitter, Dr. Berger has told people that he's not allowed to talk about it. Among the things that Dr. Berger has tweeted are claims by government and senior health authorities that children don't get COVID-19, the virus is not airborne, schools are safe, vaccine-only policies can stop the spread of coronavirus, the highly contagious Omicron variant is just mild, and that the pandemic would become endemic. And of course, the idea that deaths don't count if people are disabled. Oh, sorry, have pre-existing conditions. I was alerted to something odd when international doctors started complaining about how an Australian doctor had been silenced for speaking out against the Australian government. The Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority, AHPRA website, doesn't have their decision to impose restrictions in an easy-to-find way that you could find with a search engine, or that you could share with a URL. Instead, I eventually worked out that I needed to go to their database of medical registrations and enter David Berger's name as the search term. The page that comes up lists the formal decision, but the URL at the top of the page is useless to share, as it just leads to the medical registration search database page without anything about David Berger. So they've listed the decision without any of the reasons or the context. Here's all that's publicly posted. 
On the 7th of June 2022, the Medical Board of Australia imposed the following conditions on the registration of Dr David Berger under the Health Practitioner Regulation National Law. The practitioner must undertake and successfully complete a program of education approved by the Medical Board of Australia and including a reflective practice report in relation to behaving professionally and courteously to colleagues and other practitioners, including when using social media, in accordance with Good Medical Practice, a Code of Conduct for Doctors in Australia. Within 21 days of the notice of the imposition of these conditions, the practitioner must, on the approved form, nominate for approval by the Board of AHPRA an education course, assessment or program, addressing the topics required. The practitioner must ensure the nomination includes a copy of the curriculum and the education consists of a minimum of six hours. The practitioner must provide evidence to AHPRA of the successful completion of the education within six months of the notice of the board or AHPRA approval of the education. Within six months of the completion of this education, the practitioner is to provide evidence of successful completion and a report demonstrating to the satisfaction of the board that the practitioner has reflected on the issues that gave rise to this condition requiring they undertake education and how the practitioner has incorporated the lessons learned in the education into the practitioner's practice. Within 21 days of the notice of the imposition of these conditions, the practitioner must provide to AHPRA on the approved form the contact details of a senior person, such as the Director of Medical Services, Director of Nursing, Senior Practice Manager, Senior Manager, Senior Partner, Proprietor, Owner or Equivalent at each current place of practice. In providing this form, the practitioner acknowledges that AHPRA will contact the senior person and provide them with a copy of the conditions on the practitioner's registration or confirm that the senior person has received a copy of the conditions from the practitioner. The practitioner will be required to provide the same form within seven days of the commitments of practice to at each subsequent place of practice and within seven days of each and every notice of any subsequent alteration of these conditions. All costs associated with compliance with these conditions on their registration are at the practitioner's own expense. You might notice that the decision doesn't actually say what Dr Berger said. That was a breach of the social media policy. I looked it up. And all it says is that you must treat patients and colleagues with respect and courtesy. There's nothing there about not criticising government policy. Dr Berger posted a photo of an article about the restrictions published in the West Australian newspaper. Strangely, the newspaper has not included a digital copy of the article on its website, so the photo is all you can access. The article suggests that maybe he was sanctioned for swearing in a tweet about there being nobody masked during an Omicron spike in Western Australia. The online magazine Australian Doctor has six articles the headlines of which promise great details about the controversy with Dr Berger, but I would have to pay $100 a year subscription to read them. Here's the headlines, at least, in date order from the 11th of July. Outspoken GP ordered to brush up on social media courtesy. AHPRA sanctioned GP for undermining public trust in the integrity of politicians. AHPRA's handling of GP social media case will frighten doctors. MJA Editor-in-Chief, is AHPRA gagging doctors? The watchdog responds. And the latest article, AHPRA's made a serious mistake in trying to silence Dr David Berger. These are all very suggestive, but publicly, that's all you can read from this side of a paywall. But, 
thanks to a generous Reddit reader who found that Professor Rainer McIntyre has posted screenshots of one of the Australian Doctor articles on Twitter, we can see that the restrictions are in fact about criticising government authorities. The article quotes some of the reasons for the decision that are missing from any public pages. Dr Berger has made comments that disagree with politicians, government bodies and public health organisations, pharmaceutical companies and professionals. He has done so using emotive and pejorative language. The terms used by Dr Berger often imply that the persons or organisations at issue are acting either deceptively or coercively and for motives other than... something off the screen-captured page... interest. I'm assuming the national interest. When referred to in this manner, it would be reasonable for the reader to doubt the integrity of the persons and organisations targeted by the practitioner. Something else lost on the screen cap. Lose confidence in the public health announcements and programmes promoted by them. Politicians acting deceptively or coercively for motives that benefit themselves and their party donors? That would never happen in Australia. The World Socialist website is the only newspaper online that's been reporting Dr Berger's restrictions and the threat of removing his registration as a doctor without a paywall. They mention the rumours on Twitter that Dr Berger is only one of several medical practitioners who've been censored by the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority. They reported that Dr Berger's international supporters have set up an open letter petition at speakupdoc.com. The letter reads, Dear Ministers, We, the undersigned, being concerned scientists, doctors and citizens of various diverse professional expertise, with a common interest in humanity and the reduction of suffering, disability and death caused by COVID-19, note with concern that Dr David Berger has a public condition placed on his medical registration. He is reportedly required to attend education in relation to behaving professionally and courteously to colleagues and other practitioners. Apparently, as a result of a complaint about his effective, scientifically valid and good-faith COVID-19 advocacy in the best interests of Australian people. We would not wish news of this condition placed upon him to be heard without reference to his clear, honest, sustained contribution to public health through his personal and corporate advocacy and his unblemished clinical record, working in remote hardship locations, often with Indigenous peoples that the public health approaches he has questioned are a legitimate subject of debate in Australia and around the world, and thus remain worthy of being discussed critically despite their implementation by governments. Consideration of the effect that such a condition may have on his future good work as an advocate and that of legion other registrants, who may be deterred from speaking truth to power as a result of such action which could have a chilling effect on open political and scientific discussion. Understanding that it is critically important for the safety of patients that we speak openly about scientific and clinical matters and to be polite where possible, but assertive and determined when a message of safety is being ignored by officials or politicians in charge of a health system. The AHPRA policy assumes government policy is always in the best interests of the people of Australia and that doctors must be subservient to the state over their concerns for patients. This is in breach of our ethical and moral obligations outlined in, for example, the Declaration of Geneva. 
governments may formulate public health policies that are not in the best interests of the community, and dissenting doctors may take a position that is for the better interest of population health. Dr Berger is representative of all of us who take time to think, to care and to comment in our own diverse way on how to make the public safer, especially to amplify those vulnerable groups such as the very old, very young or very sick who may not have the resource to be heard. Current public health settings are not infallible, as evidenced by their constant adjustment and wide variation between jurisdictions. The best available advice is not always that from government advisers, who, by definition, are limited in number, diversity and expertise. Even when we might agree with all that these advisers say, it may not be translated accurately and openly into policy by those in power. The wording of the AHPRA policy on social media is so broad as to potentially permit discretionary outcomes. It could be interpreted one way to target some doctors who don't have support of government and another to allow other doctors who are government spokespersons to behave as they wish on social media, simply because their views accord with the administration. We are concerned about the potential for AHPRA to lose its focus on patient safety and become a means to persecute doctors and other registrants for political reasons, in the name of maintaining confidence in public health measures. In fact, it may have the opposite effect if the community distrusts a regime that silences medical dissent this way, if the open discussions of public health settings by registered practitioners is stifled by authoritarian implementation of regulation, leaving the rest of the community to discuss these issues without alternative ideas from those who have the best understanding of disease, that will not benefit anyone. Australia must not be a country where reputable scientists and clinicians cannot speak for the public good because they fear reprisal from their government regulator. We stand with David Berger and specifically reject any suggestion that in a democracy we must politely agree with government policy or stay silent. We respectfully request an independent audit of AHPRA's handling of social media and public advocacy complaints. Revocation of the conditions placed on Dr. Berger on the basis that it's unreasonable to expect all registrants to always support government public health settings and to be restricted in their tone of communication by a regulator. The 2021 changes to policy that now enable AHPRA to punish doctors for speaking out should be urgently reviewed, along with the remit of AHPRA as a blanket defender of government health policy a statement affirming freedom of speech for doctors, in the public interest, and confirmation that expressing a difference of opinion with government policy does not in itself constitute a breach of AHPRA's Good Medical Practice Code. Yours in our private capacities signed, 1,800 doctors. By an amazing coincidence, the former Prime Minister Scott Morrison's brother is the chair of both the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority and the government's health services working group. That is to say, he's the head of both one of the organisations that Dr Berger criticised and the head of the organisation that disciplined him for criticising government organisations. It looks like a conflict of interest to me. Fortunately, I'm not a registered doctor. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? 
Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 Triple C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos, and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labeled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf, or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.